0: The pace of our lives in the Western culture, along with our exterior focus, could lead to a place where we would lose touch with our souls and the value of our souls. The pace of our lives in Western culture, along with our exterior focus, always so looking outward, could lead to a place where we could lose touch with our souls and the value of our souls. Maybe accurate for today, maybe? The new tools of the devil, different person saying this, gentleman gentleman named Richard Foster, who you might know from books he's written, Celebration of Disciplines, Prayer, runs a ministry called Renovare. The new tools of the devil are muchness, manyness, noise, crowds, and hurry. The new tools of the devil are muchness, manyness, noise, crowds, and hurry. Again, a a potentially appropriate phrase or, or quote about our times today, Right? The first quote was spoken in the early 1900s. The early 1900s. The pace of our lives in Western culture could lead to a place where we would lose touch with our souls. Early 1900s. The new tools of the devil, of muchness, manyness, noise, crowd, and hurry, spoken by Richard Foster in the 1970s. What might they say today? A hundred years later, for the psychologists, who weren't even coming from a Christian perspective almost 50 years later by Richard Foster? He's still alive. We could probably ask him. What would they say now about our technological advances and how those impact our pace of life with the internet, email, social media, and the accessibility of it all just in the palm of our hand with our cell phones, our smartphones? What would they say about our kids' activities and how many lessons that we have them in, or how many sports that they play, or how many birthday parties they go to in one weekend so that you can keep your child in the social stratosphere? What about the demands of work or the intensity of educational pursuits from kindergarten through doctoral programs, literally from kindergarten? Oh, wait, from preschool, because you've got to have them at two years old starting to learn how to read for some reason— To doctoral pursuits? What about the constant barrage of stimuli that comes to us? What about the pressure to keep up with the Joneses, whoever the Joneses are? I'm really sorry if your last name is Jones, because you really get a bad rap. Or what about keeping up with the rat race, as we sometimes call it? But none of us actually wants to be a rat, so I don't know why we use that phrase either. Indeed, muchness, manyness, noise, crowds, and hurry. I know I'm prone to all of this busyness, I struggle at times to rest. It's not always in my actual work necessarily by the amount of hours that I work but it's definitely in my mind. I have memories of sitting down to play with my kids as little ones, struggling to stay focused on building Legos and playing with little people and racing Matchbox cars because instead I was trying to keep out the email I was supposed to write that I didn't do earlier that day or develop the sermon outline that was coming for that week while sitting on the floor in the family room because work is always in front of me, something to do. There's always more to be done, and the accessibility of our workplace because of our phones and tablets and computers has changed it. It's it's always available to us. Even school for our kids is not the same. Not even schools really allow for rest. Recess is not necessarily a given in schools anymore. It's a bit rare if you have a school. I'm thankful my kids have gone to a school where recess is allowed, where recess is celebrated but it's not that way in all places. The demand of the expectations to get to the higher level has changed. You get to high school, and it's how many college classes can you do while you're in high school, either through AP or dual credit. Even snow days, oh my goodness, are not allowed to be restful, right? What are they? It's an e-learning day. Yes! Awesome! What happened to sledding and snowmen and taking syrup and pouring it on dirty snow that you think now looks clean and making an ice cream it's not allowed oh condensed milk too that helps sweeten condensed milk snow sweetened condensed milk syrup there you go that's not allowed that's not a day of rest And, and truly god forbid we have too many of them because if you have more than one or two at least in the school district my son was in the last year they only planned for two And beyond two, you're adding days at the end of the year and taking away other vacation days. This is Indiana. Two can happen in the first week of January. (laughs) Usually with ice, right? Not really with snow. We don't get much snow. And it isn't just work and school. All of the activities, as fun as they may be, they easily turn into muchness, manyness, noise, crowds, and hurry. Lessons, practices, birthday parties, and more. How do you do with muchness and manyness? How do you do with noise, crowds, and hurry? What's a typical week like for you? Go, go, go. If I had you pull out your calendars on your phone right now, what would your past week look like? What would your upcoming week look like? What's your pace of life, even in summer? Do you work on vacation, or do you separate from your phone and your tablet and your email? Do you work every evening after working all day? Is your phone or tablet your first activity of every morning and your last each night? Do you ever even turn your phone off Okay, conviction, I never turn my phone off. Airplane mode, but not off. If we are honest, we know we are too busy, or at least we're honest enough to say we feel the temptation to busyness always next to us. And it's literally going to kill us. It's literally going to kill us. The stress, the exhaustion, and not just us, but what are we teaching our kids? What are we teaching our high schoolers? What are we modeling even for our college-age students? that are part of our families. God knows this about us too. And so God gave us a gift. God gave us a gift to take a break from all of this work, to set us free from the tyranny of the urgent, the important, and even the mundane. A gift that comes every week, actually, inviting us and calling us to cease from responsibility. A gift that, once again, if we're honest, we don't accept and we've largely ignored to our detriment what's the gift sabbath sabbath god's gift of repetitive and regular rest given for our delight and our opportunity to commune with god time for being in the midst of a life of doing I'm quite confident you've heard it said before that we are not human doings, we are human beings. And yet how often we live as human doings, right? It's so hard. Ruth Haley Barton says this in Sacred Rhythms. You'll you'll read this chapter here in a, uh, a week or so. Sabbath keeping is more than just taking a day of rest. It's a way of ordering one's life around a pattern of working six days and then resting on the Sabbath. It's a way of ordering life. It's not just like, oh, let me have a day. It's actually seeing a pattern to our lives where we know then we can work for six days and feel good about it because it's God's gift for us to work. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But then there's this pattern where on that seventh day, we get, we get, we don't have to, we get to rest. A pattern for our Balanced rhythm of work and rest. To honor our body's needs for rest. To see our spirits replenished and to let our souls delight in God. A gift that God knew we needed to truly be human beings. But it's not just a gift. It's actually a pattern of life that God emulated for us, models for us, for us then to emulate back, to demonstrate and show. And then God actually turned it into a command for us to obey it, interestingly enough. Like that important to God that we would receive this gift, that God would say, I- I'm telling you to do this, remember this, and do this. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Let's, let's start there. We're going to be in about four different passages today. We're going to move around a little bit, but in Genesis chapter 1, we have the opening of this gift. God, and literally you might say, unwraps it for us and the pattern of God's life. So Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. reign over the fish in the, uh, in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. This was day six, right, in the creation story, if you're familiar with the story of Genesis 1. Verse 29, then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit for trees for food. I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground and everything that has life and that is what has happened. Verse 31, then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good and evening passed and morning came Marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, then, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of the creation. God worked. Work is good. Work is a gift. Six days of labor and creating is what God did. We're going to talk much more about this for three weeks in in August as uh, I preach about the integration of faith into our workplace and how work is a gift from God and intrinsic to how we engage with God and God's kingdom in this world. So much more on that to come. But part of what it means to be made in the image of God is to reflect God working. God is relational. We see that in the image of God. God interacting with one another. God is love. We see that in the image of God and reflect that. But God also being creative and working is one of the aspects of us being made in God's image. But then too, God rested. And so part of being made in the image of God means that we are meant to reflect this part of God as well as being made in God's image, you and I are meant to show God to ourselves and one another and to the world by resting. That's emulating the image of God. It's in Exodus then that we connect this word and this idea of rest, excuse me, to the word Sabbath. In addition, it's here that we learn that rest is something that is not only done because it's intrinsic to who we are as human image bearers. It's intrinsic to who we are as we reflect God to the world. But this is where God actually commands it. You turn over if you like to, but Exodus chapter 20, you may be familiar with it, so I may just be enough to read it for you. But Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. And in the form of the Ten Commandments, here the fourth commandment reads as this in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, Yahweh, to the Lord your God. It is interesting to note that in the version of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it connects the work of the Israelites and the rest of the Israelites to their work as slaves. It connects it to the fact that as slaves in Egypt, the Israelites were not allowed to rest. They had to keep working. It's interesting that the Sabbath then is connected by God as a command to say, I- I'm showing you how it is to actually live free. Because when you lived in slavery and bondage, you weren't allowed to have rest. But when you live in freedom, you're supposed to have rest as part of the rhythm of your life. And could it be that we are more like the Israelites as slaves than maybe we'd like to admit Slaves in bondage to a culture of doing, achieving, and workaholism. Sabbath is the word Shabbat, which means to cease. So Sabbath to Sabbath is to cease. God is commanding the Israelites to cease from all their labor, and though this is a command for them to obey, it is one given with a promise. You can rest because God will provide, God will sustain, God will take care of you. You may remember a few weeks ago, I mentioned to you an idea of the commands of God and and the character of who God is, that of thinking as the Ten Commandments, as a friend of mine once preached, thinking of the Ten Commandments as not just, or not only, or not even primarily telling us what to do, but more a reflection on the character of God. So what would be the character of God to tell us, rest, rest, Well, it would be God saying to us, listen, remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Keep it a day ceasing from responsibility because I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to provide for you. I help you do that for six days, but I'm going to especially do this for you on the seventh day. And in fact, Israel experienced this when the people of God were in the wilderness of the desert. What did God do when God was sending manna? Six days a week, God gave the manna, right? Came in the morning, that's what they were supposed to eat. Looked like marshmallow fluff. And what they do on Saturdays, or excuse me, on Fridays in their culture, that sixth day of the week, they would collect double portion. Interestingly enough, though, the first five days of the week, if you didn't collect the manna and eat it on that day, what did it do? It spoiled and it was gross. They were not allowed to save it up except one day. Which one? The last day of working, day six, because then it would last 48 hours so they could eat it on the Sabbath, and not collect it on the Sabbath. What an image of God's provision and sustaining. What a reminder to us that when we feel that desperate need to keep going because there's not enough hours in the day for me to do all that I need to do of work, of interacting with friends, of getting chores done, of of running the household, of keeping little humans alive while also working through the week, whatever that is that God says, no, you can rest one day. I'll, I'll I'll take care of you. I'll sustain you. I'll provide for you. So for us, we can receive this as a command that tells us about the character of our God, that God has got us. So it reflects the image of God, Sabbath does, as this gift. It is then commanded to us because it's about God's character offered to us to care for us. But then Isaiah furthers the importance in place of the Sabbath. Turn with me to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 the third section of Isaiah. And we're going to the prophets because adherence to the Sabbath, obedience to practice Sabbath, was a common theme for many of the prophets. And oftentimes because Israel wasn't doing it. Now this last section of Isaiah, as it's known as, is the section of what's called promised restoration. It's the section that looks ahead to the new heavens and the new earth and the restoration of all things that God is putting the world to rights and one day it will be fully to rights where there will be be no more sun because God will be the light, what we read about in Revelation 21 and 22. Talking about Sabbath in the context of this last section of Isaiah of promised restoration is the idea that we are to experience Sabbath now. We are to experience rest now because one day we're going to Experience that rest even as we work. I believe we're going to work in the new heavens and the new earth. But it won't be toilsome anymore because work is part of Genesis 1 and 2. The toilsome part of work comes in Genesis 3. But Genesis 1 and 2 shows us that God creates. So I think we're going to be creative in the new heavens and new earth. This is my understanding of it from various theologians that I've read of what the new heavens and new earth look like for eternity. And it'll be pleasurable. But in that time of work as well, there will be rest. And so the rest of the Sabbath that we do now is anticipation of the future as well. That we are to experience Sabbath now as a signpost of the future. In other words, as something for people to see and notice that points them towards God and God's kingdom. Let's read uh, Isaiah 58, starting at verse 13. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. Keep the Sabbath day holy. In other words, keep it set apart. The definition of holiness, not here in terms of morality, but in terms of difference, set apart. And enjoy the Sabbath. Why? Verse 14, Then the Lord will be your delight. You see, not only is Sabbath to be a signpost for people to see that They notice then, and it points them towards God and God's kingdom, the rule and reign of God as it's meant to be in this life of what it's going to be when we pass into the fa- next phase of eternal life. But in Isaiah 58's context, Sabbath is also about true worship. And so Sabbath is about delight in God. Isaiah 58 is a chapter that speaks to what is the true worship of the people of God. And earlier in the chapter, it talks about humility and fasting and caring for the poor and the oppressed, pursuing social justice, being a restorer of hope and salvation, and then at the end of 58, practicing Sabbath. Sabbath, like these other things, other activities are showing our true worship of God. So when we practice Sabbath, it is not false worship, it is not Blind, thoughtless worship, shallow worship, but is a fullness of worship to delight in God and Sabbath. Jesus had numerous interactions regarding the Sabbath, and each time it was to emphasize that Sabbath was not about God's people keeping a command. It was about something that the people of God needed. You may remember in the stories that I don't have time to go into today that numerous times what the Pharisees were going after Jesus about was that he would heal on the Sabbath or he would walk too far on the Sabbath. And so it was this idea that the Pharisees kept saying, like, no, the the Sabbath's a command. We have to keep it in a very specific way, be very legalistic about it. And if we don't keep it, then that's going to be an offense to God. And that's a problem because then we're sinful. And the Pharisees wanted purity of the people so that the Messiah could come back. They were actually well-intentioned deep within. Pharisees thought that the more holy and morally pure we are, when we get to that place, then Messiah can return and the world will be put to rights, finally. So Sabbath was a big part of that. But Jesus turns it on its head and says this in Mark chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath was, was given to human beings. Human beings weren't given to then follow this command to achieve the Sabbath. The New Living Translation says it this way, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people, not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So again, when it's even commanded by God to Sabbath, it's for our good. It's another way of God saying, hey, if it's not enough to reflect my image, if it's not enough to do Sabbath because it's going to be a signpost for the future and people knowing the rule and reign of God and that I'm the one true God, if it's not enough that you recognize your need for rest, here, let me go ahead and and show you that my character is telling you, I will take care of you, so I'm going to tell you, please obey this. Go ahead and don't work. Cease from responsibility on this day. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people. Not the people meet the requirements of the Sabbath. The Pharisees had turned it into meeting the requirements of the Sabbath. And Jesus flips it back into God's heart and says, No, this is for you. This is a gift for you. Because I know you need it. A gift for the people of God past." and the people of God present. So why Sabbath? Because it reflects God's image. Because it's commanded as a reminder of the character of God, that God will take care of us. God has us. Because Sabbath leads to true worship and delight in God, as Isaiah 58 emphasizes. Because Sabbath serves as a signpost of God's promised restoration. A signpost of God's promised restoration for the here and now, as well as then what it will be in fullness one day. A signpost that, when practiced by God's people, demonstrates the difference of who God is and what God's reign is all about that is attractive to other people. It serves as a signpost to undermine the alternate narratives of our world like the narrative of the empire of materialism that tells us, keep working so you can get more stuff that will make you happy. Or the narrative of keep working to achieve more status so you can have the power that you, powerful place that you want and need in the social structures of the world. Or the rule and reign of the systems of this world that call for constant doing and constant achievement because that's the identity of who you are. You are what you do, and so we say our name and then we say what we do and oftentimes it's more important what we say about what we do than even saying our name. And yet for God, it's way more important to know your name. And the Sabbath undermines it. This is not a perfect company. I'm not not saying that. I don't want to go into conversation about that, but I will say this. What Chick-fil-A has done to not open on Sundays is quite a statement to the world. Why do they do it? Because ultimately at the beginning of Chick-fil-A is a Christian man who believed that they should not be open on Sundays. I don't think Chick-fil-A is worried about going under anytime soon. Bankruptcy does not seem to be in Chick-fil-A's future. What a statement to the world. What a statement potentially to your boss or your supervisor that you don't answer emails on Sunday afternoon. You stopped answering emails on Sunday. We're not ready for Monday morning. What's going on? hard for all of us. I'm not saying that it's easy. I have been gladly convicted significantly in preparing for today. (laughs) My spiritual director said to me a few years ago, uh, she had been asked in a context about um, what she wishes she had taught her kids and and she and her husband, and uh, their, their response was, her response to me was very quick. We didn't teach our kids to Sabbath, and we regret it. We're trying to almost make up for it now. In our own example, we didn't teach them to rest so that they would teach their children to rest. Why Sabbath? Because it's God's gift. So let's assume you're ready to receive this gift. What might it look like to practice Sabbath in 2019? I want to give you five specific points to keep in mind about Sabbath. Some of these come from Ruth Haley Barton's chapter on Sabbath. Some come from a couple other authors kind of combined. So what should be kept in mind when you practice Sabbath? What should, what should you have in mind? First of all, rest, 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 rest. You're allowed to nap, preferably a productive nap. A non-productive nap is called awake napping, and it's more like zoning out, or maybe uh, like I admit I'm tempted to do, which is my nap is watching golf. I like golf, but it's not as restful when I'm engaged in it in that restful way. So you're allowed to nap. You're allowed to sit in the hammock or lie in the hammock under the shade of the trees. Second, intentional connection with God. Intentional connection with God. We can't miss the fact that every passage that talks about Sabbath, that's an overstatement, David, probably every passage, because I haven't looked at every passage on Sabbath, they ultimately point to the worship of God, that Sabbath is for our delight in God. And so your intentional connection with God is part of Sabbath. Setting aside time to connect with God in relationship. Maybe extended time in prayer, extended time in scripture, extended time to journal. Maybe that's your time that you don't do examine every day, but you do examine on Sabbath, looking back over your week as you seek to discern God's work in your life and your family. Set aside what that looks like for you in your family atmosphere. A simple practice that we started about a year and a half ago in our family is this, uh, from Ann Voskamp's uh, Thousand Gifts book, is just having a gratitude journal. And Sundays at lunch are our days to go back over our gratitudes. What are the gifts that God gave us this week? It's not something we do during the week. It's something we do on Sabbath. It's simple, and it's just something, again, to reconnect us with God in this way, to delight and worship in God. That's why we do it. They probably don't know that's why we do it, but that's why we do it. Uh, on, on that time. I probably haven't explained that. So intentional connection with God in that way. Third, relational connection with those closest to you. Going for walks, family time, games with your kids, intimacy with your spouse, leisurely read. Read something that you enjoy reading, not the book you have to read. Coffee or tea with a friend or friends. Relational connection with those closest to you. It was a part of Sabbath. So rest, intentional connection with God, relational connection with those closest to you, and fourth, what may be the hardest of all, the release of stress and worry. Because frankly, where does our work, our busyness often come from? Well, sometimes enjoyment. Some of us actually like what we do. But oftentimes, it's stress and worry about getting ahead for the week or finishing what we didn't accomplish or making sure the person that was waiting on something gets it. Or just worry and stress about whatever is in our workplace or whatever needs to be done. So can you redirect your stress and your worry? The Sabbath is an invitation to do that. It's literally to start to think about something. Oh, not going to think about today. that today. God, that's one of the things you're going to take care of. We'll revisit it at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning or 9 a.m. tomorrow morning or whatever. But I'm going to release that right now. This is Sabbath. And then fifth, change from the busy routine of the week. So rest, intentional connection with God, relational connection with those closest to you, release of stress and worry, but then change from the busy routine of the week. This is my favorite part of Sabbath to help me rest. It's being able to look at something in the house and go, I should really go through that pile. Oh no, not, I'm not allowed to do that today. Oh good, I didn't really want to do that today. I don't have to. Like, God gave me permission not to do that today. Not just permission. God's telling me, don't do that today. Don't do the laundry. Don't balance the checkbook. Don't go through that pile of clutter. Cease from responsibility. So, what does this look like to change from the busy routine of the week? Well, that includes rethinking buying and selling, even on Amazon. Don't go to the grocery store. Don't stop at Target on the way home. Just consider that. Because other people, yes, they're working because their company makes them work. They need to make money. That's very important on the weekend. But what is it for us to have a difference of that? It includes, I think especially, our cell phone and personal screen use. So we are changing that. We've started that change. And we are continuing to to increase that change of what does it look like for us to change our cell phone use. We are going to get a landline. Why? For us. This is for us. So that we can actually turn our phones off on Sunday. Because, frankly, I need that kind of discipline. Because it's just so tempting. It's always there. So, what does that look like for you? What does that look like for your family, for your kids? to teach them to rest and have the break from screens. Interestingly enough, I've had conversations with two different school leaders in different s- settings, both of whom have said, our kids thank us that we make them turn their phones in during class. is that crazy? Like, it kind of seems to just make sense, but they're begging for a break from their screens. They're not gonna tell us that, but they are. What if you gave them a day? An afternoon if you're not ready for a day. Changing the routines of potentially travel sports. That starts to mess with some things, so I won't go any farther there. <laughs> no chores on Sunday. No chores on Sunday. Didn't vacuum Saturday? Oops. Let the dog hair collect some more. Drives me nuts, but there you go. Simpler meals or maybe Leftovers. The aim is not to be legalistic. The aim is not to be legalistic. The aim of Sabbath is not to be legalistic. The aim of Sabbath is not to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. The aim of the Sabbath is not to be legalistic. It's to receive the gift. It's to create a habit that nurtures and cultivates our desire for God. All the way back to June 2nd, our very first message. What do we long for? What do we desire in this world? We want to desire God. Well, Sabbath is a habit that nurtures our desire for God. It cultivates our desire for God and the kingdom life over the, over the other idolatrous desires that we might have that include the idol of work, the idol of busyness, the idol of achievement or performance, the idol of keeping up with the Joneses, the idol of always being in every social situation so that we have social status. The idols that practicing Sabbath seeks to topple. Adele Calhoun says Sabbath is God's way of saying stop, notice your limits, i.e. you actually have limits. Don't burn out. A whole day, 24 hours of ceasing from responsibility. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Doesn't that sound great to rest? So maybe a whole day is too much. What if you started with part of a day? What if you did after lunch to dinner on Sundays, Sabbath, phones turned in, uh, screens if you're going to watch something together, or um, playing games, or having some quiet time even individually and then coming back together as a family, whatever that is. But it's freedom from doing laundry and running the kids from one activity to another, and shopping for groceries, and the cell phones buzzing and dinging. And freedom instead to enjoy one another's company, to read a book for pleasure, to play a game, to take a nap, to spend extended time with God. Maybe you're ready to have it be from the time you get up in the morning until dinner time. Maybe you're ready for Saturday nights to Sunday nights. And we can talk about Sabbath being switched to a different day. We could talk about why the Jews have Sabbath on Saturday and we now have it on Sunday generally in the Christian tradition because of resurrection. But the point is that there's a rhythm to your life that you find for rest? It's, it's not even for those of you that have to work on the weekend. It's not even necessarily that it has to be Sunday. But what day can it be for you? And particularly, what day can it be with those who are closest to you? Because Sabbath is not a practice that's meant to be done alone. It's one of the trappings for pastors is that Sabbath ends up being on Monday or Friday and their kids are not home. Because the idea of Sabbath is to be relational and when we practice Sabbath and we have rest it renews our relationships why because we're less stressed because we've let ourselves rest because we've let ourselves sleep in so we're not as short we're not as quick to get angry we're not as reactive we're not as overcome by the stress of our workplace and because when we can do it with others who are practicing it with us we can have time together that's just pleasurable and enjoyable And so it transforms not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with one another. However long you practice it, will you receive the gift to rest, to value rest, to rest as we cease from responsibility, or as much responsibility as you can as you keep little humans alive. Receiving this gift for ourselves, receiving it for ourselves with others, receiving it for ourselves with God. Why Sabbath? Because Sabbath is God's gift to us. Will you receive it? Will you receive the gift? Father, we live in a world that tells us to do anything and everything but Sabbath. It's just not the way it works. Even when the psychologists who aren't Christian are saying things about how we need rest and not burn out, we still struggle so much And so, Father, will you help us? Help us to see this for the gift that it is. Help us to see it for what it means for our relationship with you, our relationships with one another, our relationship with ourselves, caring for ourselves. Show us each individually and as families. What does this look like for our family? Not legalistic, God. Please, don't let us go there. Pharisees did a good enough job of that for everybody for years to come but because it is a gift that we would rest in you.